So we're going to be in a number of places this morning in uh, God's Word. In fact, this is kind of a the way I'm going to do uh, preach this message. We're going to be in Matthew's Gospel, the 16th chapter. If you want to uh, flip your in your Bibles to there right now, but we're going to continue our our, our series on bottom line beliefs. And this morning we're going to we're going to answer the question, "Who is Jesus?" and and uh, th- that particular question is like most questions. You ask, you know, 100 different people, you're, you're likely to get 5, 10, 15, 20 different answers. And, that, that's, that, and it all depends, a lot of it depends on the background of the people you're asking. And, and this isn't, um, that's this, you ask, in fact, if you were to ask this question, who's Jesus of a bunch of people on the street today, you'd get all sorts of different, different answers depending upon their background. And that's really no different. In fact, we see Jesus asking this very question in, in our text this morning that we're going to read in just a moment. And I found it kind of interesting, the answers that his disciples gave to him. When he said, who do people, not who do you, but he would ask them that later. But he said, who do people say that I am? And, and I didn't realize that people in that time period believed so heavily in reincarnation. But if you read the answers that they gave, they were, for the most part, dead people. Some said that he was John the Baptist. Some said that he was Elijah. Some said that he was Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So evidently, most people believe Jesus was a reincarnation of somebody else. But if you ask people today that same question, who's Jesus, you'll get a lot of different answers. In fact, just about three years ago, in 2015, George Barna did one of his surveys, and that was the question that he asked people, who is Jesus? And he, he discovered some, uh, some interesting things, and they picked out five primary things that you find people believe about Jesus. Number one is the vast majority of Americans believe Jesus was a real person. That's encouraging, isn't it? To know that people still here in our country still believe that Jesus was a real person. He also found out that as you walked through, and they kind of divided up their, their results into um, the different generations, whether it be, you know, boomers and, and what would be next? Gen Xers, I guess. Gen Xers and millennials. Um, is there a, do they have one after millennials yet? Why? Generation Y? Okay, yeah. Basically what he found was that when you started, you started with us, us older folks. <laughs> Actually, I think I'm on the cusp somewhere between a boomer and a, and a, and a Gen Xer. But you, we started down there that there's still the majority of people believe that Jesus was God. But as you went up the scale, the percentage of people in our country that believe that Jesus was actually God begins to fall. In fact, millennials fall below 40, below 50%. I think it's around 46. And Generation Y, the one that follows, is even an even smaller percentage believe that Jesus was God. And then he also found an interesting one, and this one never had occurred to me, and particularly as I read through the percentages, it was actually kind of shocking, that Americans are actually pretty divided on whether they believe Jesus lived a sinless life which I found really interesting. Because doesn't that throw a monkey wrench into the Christian faith? If Jesus 
didn't live a sinless life. We'll talk more about that later. But evidently, we're, we're divided on whether or not Jesus was sinless. In fact, this, the next one he found was that most Americans say they have made a commitment to Jesus Christ that's still important to them today. And what was really interesting is that the number of people who had made a commitment to Christ that was still important to them, and yet how many of them believed that Jesus committed sins while he, while he lived? Interesting thought. So most Americans still say they've made a commitment to Jesus Christ. And that actually caught me by surprise too. It was like 65 or 68%. And five, the last one, the last interesting thing they discovered is that people are sort of conflicted between whether Jesus is the only and one and only source of their salvation or whether or not good deeds play into that. There's many who sort of, on one hand, they, they say that we're saved you know, by Jesus' sacrifice, but on the other hand, they also believe that one of the reasons God's letting them into heaven is that they're pretty much a good person for the most part. And so you ask, but the, the, I shared the results of that survey with you to just kind of to underscore the fact is that if you ask people who Jesus is, you'll get different answers. You've probably, you've probably heard that as well. You know, when you talk to someone, you get different answers. And in fact, if you, you take that same question and you transplant that over to somewhere else, take, go to a Muslim country and ask them who Jesus was, you're going to get a, a, a different set of answers. Although I, I'm guessing you'll probably get a more consistent <laughs> set of answers if you go to a Muslim country, because I think most of them um, have a better grip today on what they believe about Jesus than what the overall population in our country um, believes about Jesus. That is, it is a, a, it's just a very important question that we have to answer. In fact, fact of the matter is, is that any time that you run into someone who's a part of another religion, a false religion, we would have to say, any time you run into someone, really the bottom line comes down to what do they do with Jesus? There are some there are many there are several other religions that on the on the face of it appear to be sort of Christian like. But when it comes right down to it, it's what do they do with Jesus? I'd say the Jehovah's Witnesses are one of those. I'll talk a lot about Jehovah and use many of the same the scriptures that we use as well. But the bottom line is, is that they don't see Jesus as being their one source of salvation. We have to answer that question of who Jesus is. And I think the fact that Jesus himself asked his disciples, who do the people say I am and who do you say I am, underscores the importance of that. So let's read from Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 17 this morning. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered. Now I wonder if the others didn't answer or that the writer of the gospel here just kind of picked Simon you know, Peter's answer. 
whatever, whatever happened, we know that Simon Peter spoke up and he answered. He said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So this morning I want to just spend some time really just kind of running through a whole bunch of scriptures. And I, I told Cheryl yesterday that when I, was, when I started looking at this and answering the question of who is Jesus, and I was trying to, sort of, I was trying to formulate how I was going to present this to you, I had that drinking out of the fire hose feeling. Have you ever had that happen? You know, when you're, you're, you go looking for information on a given topic or on something, and there's just so much that you have trouble wrapping your head around and kind of organizing it into something that you can understand and use. And, and I was really, that's the way I was sort of feeling yesterday as I started, as I was preparing this. Who is Jesus? There's so much scripture about who Jesus is. And so I want to I share that with you this morning. And so I'm going to talk about the many scriptural witnesses to Christ's sonship, to Jesus' sonship, that he is truly the son of God. And, and I did, again, I had, I had a real, had a lot of trouble um, organizing it. And so I came down to two, two primary categories. So let's look first at the scriptural witnesses that comes really from those around him. Okay, so we're going to start. We're going to start with those. We'll begin in chapter Luke, kind of in the very beginning, and these are not in chronological order. You'll realize that very quickly. But this one happens to be kind of in the very beginning. And the angel answered, Luke chapter one, verse thirty-five. And the angel answered and said to her, "Anyone have an idea of who her is here? No. There you go. Thanks, John. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you." Therefore, also the, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. You know, it's interesting that you actually you talk to people, they will tell you that the, the Bible doesn't call Jesus the Son of God. I don't understand that. They'll use that to, they'll say that Jesus never claimed to be God. Never really claimed his deity, deityship or whatever, however you want to put it. His Godhood. But all through Scripture, we find these references talking about how Jesus was the Son of God. And so first, the first one we hear see is Mary, the angel talking to Mary, saying the baby that you are going to give birth to, Jesus, is the Son of God. He will be called the Son of God. John chapter, chapter 1, verse 34, this is John, the words of John the Baptist, said, I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. And he was doing so when he was speaking about Jesus. John chapter 1 verse 49, one of the one of the 12, Nathanael answered and said to him, "Rabbi, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel." This is one of the disciples who ended up following him as he came to Jesus. He declared Jesus right then and there to be the son of God. John chapter 11 verse 27. She said to him, "Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ." The Son of God who has come into the world. Anyone know who that is? Martha. You had a great, You should have stuck with the first answer. You had it, Bonnie. Martha recognized that Jesus was the Son of God. 
Matthew chapter 27 and verse 54. I think this is a really powerful witness to Jesus' sonship. So when the centurion, this happened, we, of course we read this just last week. So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying this was the Son of God. You know, I think they, they read that sign, you know, the King of the Jews, and they'd heard all of the heckling as Jesus was crucified. Undoubtedly, they heard that he had claimed to be the Son of God. And when they witnessed what happened as Jesus declared that it was finished, when the earthquake and the darkness and, and all of the things that accompanied it, they came to realize quickly that he was who he said he was. He was the Son of God. And that, I think, is a powerful witness simply because of who it is. We're not talking about those who were following him around at this point. These are hardened soldiers. My guess is the, the guys who had crucifixion duty the day that, that Jesus was crucified often had crucifixion duty. You know? They, they, that, was what, that was one of the things that they did. These were not, these were not mamby-pamby men. They were hardened soldiers. They had witnessed the death of many and had participated in the death of many, and yet they recognized that Good Friday that this was the Son of God. That's a powerful witness. John chapter 20, verse 31 says this, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. In his name, And here, this is John, the disciple John, who wrote the Gospel of John. He's saying, this is why I wrote the Gospel of John. Obviously, I said this was not, not in chronicle order. I'm kind of jumping around. This is much later. When John wrote the, his Gospel, he said, the whole reason I wrote this is so you'll realize Jesus is the Son of God. And that believing you may have life in his name. His whole purpose was declaring Jesus, the Son of God, the source of our salvation. And so that, those, that's just a few of the, of the scriptural witnesses where those around Jesus declared that he was the Son of God. Who is Jesus? He is the Son of God. But what about Jesus himself? Let's take a quick look at some of those scriptures, beginning in John chapter 10 and verse 36. The word Jesus, do you say of him who the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? Jesus is about to be stoned here. Literally, he's been talking and he's been preaching, and he gets people, the, the Jews that were there got so riled up at the things he was saying that they all started reaching for the rocks. And they were preparing to stone him. And he said, hey, why are you going to stone me? Because I've done all these good things, all these, you know, I've healed all these people. And they said, no, we're going to stone you because you have made yourself like God. You have claimed to be God. And Jesus himself, in saying that, he didn't come right out and actually, we don't hear him saying, when, saying I am the Son of God. He said, I said I was the Son of God. It's kind of the same thing, isn't it? 
He's about to be stoned, and Jesus indicated that they, the reason they were stoning him was because he had claimed to be the Son of God. Now, this was one of those times when Jesus pulled his little disappearing act. Because right about the time they're about to stone him, he's gone. Now, I don't know about you, maybe it's just, you know, because I've seen too many movies. I, you know, I, I tend to, in my mind, I, you know, I picture that scene. They, they're all, they've all got their stones in their hands, and they all go back to, to, uh, to throw the rocks, and all of a sudden Jesus is gone, and they're all just standing there looking around going, wait, wait, what happened? Where'd he go? Somehow he got away, but that's really not what we're talking about this morning. <laughs> John chapter 11, verse 4. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Anyone recognize that little phrase of Scripture, passage of Scripture? Bonnie? <laughs> Before Jesus has gone and seen Martha and, her, and, and she's recognized Jesus as the Son of God there, Jesus hears that Lazarus is sick, in fact, he hears that Lazarus is dead. He said, don't worry. Don't worry. The sickness is not unto death. I think Lazarus is dead by this time, but I don't, not, may not be putting that timeline in exactly the right spot. But he says, don't worry. The sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. Now, we all know that Jesus already knew that Lazarus was going to die from the sickness. But he also knew what he was going to do. So Jesus, in speaking of Lazarus, he was really speaking of Lazarus' resurrection that was yet to come. That it would bring glory to him, the Son of God. Matthew chapter 27, verse 43. This is actually a reference that someone else makes to something that Jesus said. Matthew chapter 27, verse 43. He trusted in God. And again, this harkens back to, to Good Friday. He said, he trusted in God, let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. So again, we hear someone else referring to the words of Jesus claiming to be the Son of God. And this happened to be the chief priest as he was hanging on the cross in there mocking him. They said he claimed to be the son of God. He said he was the son of God. Well, if he's the son of God, then maybe daddy's going to come and rescue him. Maybe his father, maybe God, his father, will come and rescue him and deliver him. John chapter 19 and verse 7. This one happened in... in in front of Pilate. Pilate's questioning why they want to see Jesus put to death. The Jews answered him and said, We have a law according to our law. He ought to die because he made himself the Son of God. That again is someone else referring to something that Jesus said. Are you sensing a pattern here that Jesus claimed to be the Son of God? He declared himself to be the Son of God. And that, those, again, were the words of his accusers before Pilate. Luke chapter 22, verse 70. 
said, Then they all said, Are you the Son of God? So he said to them, You rightly say that I am. And again, this had to do, this was when Jesus was brought before the Sanhedrin. He's bought, brought and tried, he's being tried here in Jewish court before the Sanhedrin. And um, they said, so um, are you really the son of God? That's a loaded question, right? You have to understand that some of these times when these, these were not trivial situations. When Jesus was standing before the Sanhedrin and they said, are you then the son of God? If he answers truthfully, in their eyes, he's signing his death, his death order. He's, he's signing his death warrant. Because like we, we saw when he was brought before Pilate, when they answered Pilate, if you say you are God, you have to die. Because that is seen as, as one, of the ultimate in, you know, one of the ultimate blasphemies by claiming to be, to be God. And so the Sanhedrin says, are you then the son of God? And he answers by saying, you rightly say that I am. Isn't that an interesting answer? He said, you're correct in saying that. He sort of, I don't know if you heard that, but he sort of flipped it around, didn't he? And said, yep, you're correct in saying that. Sort of answered the question without answering the question. So Jesus, we see there are just a multitude, and again, I I only took a few. There's a multitude of scriptural references, both people who who were just present around Jesus where they acknowledged that he was the Son of God, and Jesus himself, in many, many different places, claimed himself to be the Son of God. Well, why does it really matter who you believe Jesus is? I mean, that, so... We, we've, claimed, we've kind of established the fact that he's claimed to be the Son of God and others have recognized him to be the Son of God. But why does it really matter who you believe Jesus is? And it really comes down to this one bottom line thing. Mankind cannot redeem mankind. That's why it matters who you believe Jesus is. Because we need a Redeemer. We need a redeemer. We're all dead in our sins. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. We're all dead in our sins. We need a redeemer. And mankind cannot redeem mankind. Look in Psalm chapter 49. You can go all the way back to the Old Testament. Psalm chapter 49, verses 6 to 9. It says, Those who trust in their wealth and boast in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother nor give to God a ransom for him, for the redemption of their souls is costly. And it shall stay forever that he should continue to live eternally, not see the pit. And it's saying, no one can redeem another person. I can't redeem Bonnie. I can't redeem Ed. I can't redeem Amy. I can't redeem my wife as much as I love her. I have no hope of being able to redeem her. Why? It's just too costly. And here's the bottom line. If I go to God and say, you know, I love Cheryl, and I know she's a sinner. I want to offer my life in payment for her sin. Even if I meant that from the bottom of my heart, God would have to look at me and say, that's a really noble thing you want to do. 
But there's only one problem. You only have enough to pay for yourself. You see, you have to pay your own debt first before you can pay someone else's debt. And by the time you finish paying your own debt with your life, there's no capital, so to speak, left to pay anyone else's ransom. Mankind cannot redeem mankind. The problem is is that all men are born with a sin nature. We're all born with a sin debt. We're all born with our own sin debt. And we know that through Scripture that what? what are the, what's the wages? What does that sin debt earn us? Well, it requires death. That's the only way to pay for sin is death. And if we have our own debt, we, we can only pay our own bill. Fortunately, Jesus was not born with a sin nature. Why was that? Because he was not of Adam's seed. It says, therefore, in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Jesus was the only one because he was not conceived from the seed of a man. He was not born with that sin nature. He was able, he is the only one who had no sin debt. Now, there was, there's a follow-on to that. He wasn't born with a sin debt, but he could have acquired a sin debt. And that's, that's an important thing to realize. Jesus was not born with a sin debt the way the rest of us are born with a sin debt. But he could have acquired a sin debt in living his life. In fact, it was, that was another thing that he had to have, and that's exactly what it's saying in Hebrews here in chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. It's saying that he had to be tempted so that he could aid those who are tempted. You know, they, it's, it's, just a, it's a practical thing. They say, you know, the people who are able oftentimes to minister most effectively to addicts are who? Former addicts. Because they have a unique understanding of, of the difficulty that that other person is in. You know, and I understand that some people seem to be supernaturally gifted with empathy. But empathy is best. <laughs> you know people who are most empathetic? People who have been in that situation before. They understand it. You know, frankly, there are some things that I look and I just don't understand. It's like, why would you ever do that? I don't understand why you would do that to begin with. So it should be easy to stop doing that. Right? I struggle to be empathetic. But Jesus, and Jesus, had he not had opportunity to sin, would have, we, people would look and say, well, no wonder he, he didn't sin. He was never tempted to sin. He, was never, he never had the opportunity to sin. And so Jesus, not only, not only did he, was he born without a sin debt, but then he lived his entire life without acquiring a sin debt. And that's what made him able, it gave him the ability to die for our sin. In fact, you can look at it this way, that his godhood, his godhood made him fit 
to be a redeemer. His godhood made him fit to be a redeemer. And his human body, his manhood, so to speak, gave him the blood to shed as was necessary for the remission of sins. We, we read that scripture just, just a, a week or so ago and we said that without blood, without shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. There's no forgiveness of sin. So who is Jesus? Why does it matter? Why? Because we need a redeemer. We needed someone who could pay our sin debt. And the only person who can pay our sin debt is someone who doesn't have their own already. That's why it's important we, believe, we know who Jesus is. Folks, if, before you can begin to witness to someone, you have to have that established, that you know who Jesus is. Who is Jesus? Anyone ready to answer? You're going to say he's reincarnated as Elijah or Jeremiah or somebody? He is truly the Son of God, the Redeemer of all mankind. Amen. Stand with me this morning. Let me pray for you.